get, let's, uh, let's get in the Word this morning. Let's pray one more time. Father, we just want to come to you one more time this morning. And uh, thank you for the worship. Thank you for healing miracles. Thank you for the way that you are moving in this church, for the, the zeal and the passion that you're stirring up in us by the power of your Holy Spirit. And uh, I just pray as I get ready, uh, even as already been prayed, Lord, but I just ask again that you would anoint my words. Uh, we know that your word is anointed. Uh, in and of itself, but anoint my words, God, that they will be received in the right way today, and uh, that our church would be encouraged and challenged and blown forward in your purpose uh, today, and uh, we thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen. 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 So um, we're, we're finishing up uh, founded, founded thing, founded series today, and uh, for those of you that haven't been here, um, uh, some of you have been online and whatnot, but not everybody's been here. So, by the way, it's super awesome to see Gail this morning. So, uh, it's really, really nice to have you. So, um, uh, if you haven't kind of been following along here, rolling into this year, I really felt uh, a strong uh, compulsion. Um, I, I guess maybe you could say it was a word from God uh, that coming into this year, you know, there's a lot of upheaval and there's a lot of things going on politically, socially, culturally, um, pandemic stuff and, and all of that. By the way, if you need notes, Anne's got notes. She's passing those out right now. So you can grab them if you need them. Um, so when we were coming to this year, I, I really felt like God was kind of saying uh, a little bit that, that we need to not be so much looking forward to the brand new thing in this year. And this is a little bit like what I was feeling last year, strangely, um, that we need to not look forward to the great big great brand new thing that God's want to do, but that we need to come back to the foundations. And that, that whatever God wants to do in all the big grand scheme of this next year, that, that that's not going to come just by us running, but that's going to come by us coming back to foundations and really getting focused so that when the battles come, because we are in a war, right, we are in a war, um, it's not a physical war, it's a spiritual war that we're fighting, and, and so we're in this spiritual war, and um, it, it will surely come to us this year, it's already been coming, right, and it's surely going to continue to come, and we need to be founded so that we don't get shaken, we don't get moved around every time something happens, and so I kind of felt like there was four, four key elements to the founded. Now, listen, our walk with God is founded in a whole lot more than the four things that I'm talking about here, right? It's not that these four things are the only things that we need in our life, but I feel like to some degree they're the four most important things. And, and so we, we looked at um, the, the importance of the Word of God, not just reading it or knowing it or having it sitting on your shelf, or throwing it in your back seat when you're done with church and then grab it out of your back seat when you come next Sunday. But to really be in the word, to hear, to meditate. Remember we had a little hand with the six different ways to, to be in the word. And so we talked about that. We talked about prayer. And, and along with the prayer, we have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Even though we didn't specifically talk about that. Uh, so in depth, last week we talked about giving, which is... Um, you might think an interesting, why is that so important in being founded? And it's really, really important because it's a statement of our trust. And, and when, you're, when things are going on in the world, when things are being shaken, uh, we always want to pull back into ourselves. I'll keep my money. I'll keep my stuff. I'll keep, my, I'll keep to myself. And God says, no, I want you to trust me. Which economy do you want to, uh, to invest in? In the last couple of weeks, if you guys have been watching this GameStop thing, and I still don't fully understand the GameStop thing, but it's like how, how everything can just be flipped upside down just in a moment, and then it can just be flipped upside down again just by the whims of the people who are running the show. And it's like, so do we want to invest all of our faith and our trust in that, or do we want to invest our faith and trust in something that is a little bit more secure than that? And that's why we give. We don't give just because we're trying to keep the lights on. We give as an act of faith and trust in God. Amen? And so we had the word, we had prayer, and we had giving, and I want to kind of finish this. Again, it's not the only things that we need to be founded, but it's kind of like the big four, and I want to talk about fellowship. And in this one, uh, every, every one of these, I've said this is probably the most important one, and I've meant it every time I've said it. And so today, this is the most important one, and the reason it's the most important one is because uh, let's just take the last year, for instance. In the last year, you can still be in your word every day, no problem. In the last year, you can still pray every day, no problem. 
in the last year, you can still give your, your tithes and your offerings, no problem. Trust me, we're here to receive them. Okay? In the last year, fellowship is the one that has been the most difficult. Um, in the last year, and we're coming just, just up on that year here in just you know, two or three weeks, um, a year ago, right about today, we're going, what's going on? And, and we here in this church, and, and I, I felt to some degree like we were sort of suckered into it, and that's just my opinion, but they said we want to shut down just for two weeks to, to flatten the curve, you know, and it's like, okay, well, two weeks, I can deal with that, that's good, and then two weeks became four weeks, and then four weeks became a month, and then two months, and then almost, you know, going to th towards three months, and I was like, you know what, enough's enough, we're going to open the church back up again. And we're just gonna we're just gonna do this. And then a few weeks later, we had some folks that got sick, and we had to shut down for a little bit of time. And and the one of these four things that I'm talking about that has been the most difficult as of late has been fellowship, because everything that's going on in the world is trying to push us away from that. It's trying to keep us from fellowshipping together. And and again, I'm, I want to say this. Because someone might come across this online and say, oh, they're being irresponsible. Listen, I don't care how we fellowship. I've said that till I'm blue in the face. I'm really kind of tired of saying it, honestly. But, but if we have to fellowship by, by sitting apart or doing all that, I don't care about it. I do not care about that. I know other people get hyped up about that, and it's like, okay, if you get hyped up, I support you, and you're, hyping, you're hyped up about it. I support you. I'm with you. I got your back. And I'll tell you why I have your back here in a minute. Okay? Because it's not a matter of whether I, I fully agree with you or I fully disagree with you or I sort of agree with you. It's that there are things in our faith that are more important than that stuff. And if we keep getting sidetracked on those issues, then we lose sight of the foundational things of our faith that are the most important. And so uh, there, there are people that fully disagree with me on certain different things. And it's like, listen, I'm cool if you disagree with me. Are we still family? Do you, are you a follower of Christ? I am too. I support you. I disagree with you, but I don't hate you. Let's go walk for Jesus. Amen? And, and that's been the thing that is the most difficult. This is not my message today, but I did want to just throw it in as kind of the introduction here is that, that if you take out everything that's going on in the world, and I know you guys are tired of hearing me talk about this too, but you have to because it's our life right now. If you take out everything that's going on in the world right now and you just look at the church, don't look at politics. Don't look at the virus. Just look at what's going on in the church, not this church, but the church. And you will see that there are such massive divisions over things that we should not be divided over. Okay? And, and those divisions are what, what the enemy uses to continue to wreck our nation and continue to wreck the world and continue to wreck our county and our city. And, and what we don't realize is we've been suckered, and all along the way, while we're being suckered, we think that we got to just, yo, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. And it's like, no, we're divided. And, and the Word of God tells us that, God, that Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. And much of what we call the church today is not his church, it's our church. And it's our church made in our image. And the problem is, the problem with that is, if I build the church in my image and Jonathan builds a church in his image, then it looks like we've got completely different things going on. And so it's like, okay, here's what the church is supposed to be. And then you look over there and say, that's what the church is supposed to be. And then you go, but these things aren't the same. So what's wrong? And that's what's wrong in the church today is that we're divided over everything, right? And so we have to find our way back to the foundational principles of what Jesus said the church was supposed to be. Okay, and when we get back to where the church is supposed to be, we will find healing for our politics. And we will find healing for our land. And we will find healing for the divisions in the churches. And we'll find healing for the divisions in the church. Because we come back to one word, one baptism, one faith, one spirit speaking. And if we're all hearing the same thing from the same spirit, we're all going to be on the same page. And that's kind of a little bit about what I want to kind of get into today. Because if you really break all of that down, that's what you call the fellowship of the church. The fellowship of the church. 
The, the church, everybody in the church is not going to look the same. They're not going to think the same. They're not going to have the same backgrounds, the same upbringings, the same viewpoints on everything. But there are some things that we should have in common that say that we will stand, I will stand with you, and I will pray for you, and I will love you no matter what else is going on in your life or around you. Okay? And so that's a little bit of what I want to talk about today. And so... Uh, I, I got to give you my bottom line. Founded disciples grow in the soil of spiritual maturity. If you want to grow in spiritual maturity, and look, this year, I have, uh, I'm 10 seconds from getting myself in trouble, so I'm going to drink water. In all of my ministry, it's been a begging people to come to church. I'm going to give you a little pastoral insight. Pastors spend a whole lot of time trying to figure out how to get people to show up to church. So, so you do all sorts of things. You make posts to remind people. You, you ask people. You beg people. You, 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 you serve food at the Bible studies. You do all those things because you want to do everything you can to get people to church. And in the last year, God has completely shifted my perspective. And here's where I'm going to get myself in trouble, and I know I am. But listen, I don't care if you come to church anymore. Because if you don't understand the importance of why you need to be here, then go out the door. Don't, don't come here. Don't watch on the live stream. Don't do any of it. Go out the door and go find a church where the pastor is going to beg you to come because I'm done with that. I'm done with that. I'm done trying to get people to understand the importance of the body of Christ. And so my, my perspective is totally shifted. And ladies, you're going to hear this tonight, but I want you to understand that you're not hearing it because I'm shooting at you because I've already shot at the guys with it. In our first meeting, I said, look, I'm going to tell you what this is about, and I'm going to give you the option right now to opt out. And there's no, there's no hard feelings. I'm not mad. I'm not upset. And, and this is probably just not going to be for everybody because this is going to be what it is. And if you're going to be a part of this, you need to be a part of this. No excuses. And so my perspective is completely shifted because what we've done in the church over the last 20, 30 years is we've created this sort of um, taker culture where I'll come if you'll love me. I'll come if you'll sing the songs. I'll come if you'll preach the right messages. I'll come if the building is right for me. I'll come if you pat me on the back and tell me that I'm okay, even if I'm massively in sin. I'll come if you make sure that you do everything for me and me as a pastor, and maybe next week we'll come and there'll be nobody here, but I'm done with that because that's not what the church was ever created to be, ever. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and come after me. The, the word of God says, it is no longer I who live. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. It is Christ who lives in me. And so we have to, you're like, why are you so intense about this? Because I feel like we've lost the importance of fellowship. You know, when we were shut down for those few weeks, um, all I heard, all I heard was, oh, I can't wait. I can't wait till we can open up again. I can't wait till we can worship again. I can't wait till we can sing together again. I can't wait till we can hear the word of God together again. And then we opened back up, and like half of the folks didn't show up. It's like, well, we had a live stream. Good. They weren't, they weren't showing up on the live stream either. And I'm not talking just about our church. I saw some, some statistics that were talking about this was, so, you know, the kind of things kind of amped up in March or so last year, middle of March-ish. And at the end of May, they did a, Barna Research did a study, and there was something like 60-something, uh, oh, I forget the exact numbers here, 60-something percent of millennials had not tuned in one time to their church's live stream. And on top of that, when their churches opened back up, they hadn't come back yet. So it wasn't, a, it wasn't a matter of, well, we're watching on the live stream because we're worried about the pandemic. Because I get that. I totally get that. I understand that fully. Okay? But, but they weren't tuned in there either. And when we lose, when we lose the importance of fellowship, we've lost a, a massive, massive component of what it is that God wants to do and how it is that he's created us to succeed and to, to thrive. And, and to be successful in our walk with God. Now, I know that was all intense there, and it's, it's going to be better here in just a second, but I wanted to lay that foundation here. We have to understand the importance. Listen, I'm not here to try to talk you into being in fellowship this morning. Because if you don't want to be, don't. 
I just want to tell you what God said and what the benefit of being in it is. Okay? And so one of the main passages that talks about this is in Acts chapter 2. And, and it says this, in, in the early church, this is how they functioned. It said they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Now, I just want to say, if you don't know what that is, that's the word of God, okay? They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now, this is not my message, but just a little nugget to throw out here. Why do you suppose the signs and the wonders were happening through the apostles? Because they were together with the doctrine and prayer. That's why this year we are shifting to discipleship and prayer. You're like, you should have been doing that a long time ago. We have been doing that, but we're doing it in a different way this year. Okay? We're always wanting the signs and the wonders and the miracles, but we don't want to put in the prayer and the breaking of the bread and the doctrine and the fellowship. Verse 43, Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, they had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Now, uh, I'll say a quick thing about that in a minute. Uh, 46, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. We want people to be saved. We want people to be saved. We want people to be saved. Okay, well, then what did they do? When they were seeing people saved. There were some very specific things they were doing. They weren't pointing the fingers out there in the world and say, hey, you sinners, you terrible sinners out there, you, you get saved. They were doing some things. And then God brought people into that fellowship. Okay? And so we see some, some specific things there that they were doing. And I don't really want to talk about those specific things as much as I want to talk about some overarching principles today. Is that if you look at those Things that you realize the early Christians, the, they, the, the foundations of the church, it was built in, in community. And this community covers all aspects. Because we think, I, I grew up in church and I had, this, I had this guy in the church and I've shared this before, but my voice has to get used to all these meetings I'm doing now. So um, there's this guy that I used to go to church with and every time we have a potluck, he would call it foodership. And, and it was fellowship, but we were eating food, so he called it foodership. And, and so it would be like, oh, we're going to have some foodership. And, and so everybody would be like, yeah, we're going to have some foodership. And that's, that's, see, that's part. But the problem with foodership is we, 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 if we think that it's all just one thing, then we forget that it's something way bigger than that. Okay? Is it, is it coming together and eating food together? Yes. Is it coming together and worshiping together? Yes. Is it come studying the word together? Yes. Is it going out and get a cup of coffee together? Yes. And it's all of those things and more. And, and I think biblically when we talk about fellowship, sometimes we have these certain views of what fellowship is, but we have to throw all those aside and go back and look at what fellowship was in the Scripture. And what was fellowship in the Scripture? It was studying the apostles' doctrine. It was breaking bread. And there's two forms of breaking bread there. It's eating dinner together and it's communion together, right? And, and so you have all of those things. It, it's, it's fellowship is if there's something that I have that I don't need and you need it, I'm willing to give that to you. I'm willing to help you in whatever way I can. Now, we, we've created a culture in our country right now where everybody expects that you have to give them everything. And they'll go, well, see, that's what they did in the Bible. That's not what they did in the Bible. There was no person coming by saying, I'm going to take your stuff and I'm going to give it to somebody else because that's fair. It was God moving on somebody's heart to say, I have something here and I can help somebody or bless somebody with it. In fact, if you really dig into that, you'll find out that maybe all of these people in Acts 2, all of these people had come to Jerusalem and they all got saved, 3,000 of them, and they were all supposed to go back home. So is it possible that all of this sharing and selling and giving the possessions was so that they could keep those people in fellowship so that they could be taken care of and that they could be taught and made disciples so that when they went back home, they would be able to stand? That's a different perspective. 
or the government's going to come take my money and give it to somebody else because that's what the Bible, no, that's not what the Bible says at all. You don't take from me. I give because the word, because the spirit of God moves on my heart. I understand what it means to be a giver. Okay, so that's a little bit of a different thing there. So we were created as, uh, when we come into our, our faith in Christ, we are created to live in community. And if we're not living in community, then something is wrong. That's why when we were shut down, I'm like, we've got to get back open. We have to get back open. We have to get back open. Because we were not created to live through live stream. I thank God for the live stream because that saved us over the last year in many respects. And God's done some really amazing things through the live stream in the last few years. And I'm sure we'll continue to. But the directive of God is for us to come together in community. Okay? And so we have to understand that. Now, I know that goes against a lot of things today, but I have to preach the word of God. When you look in Scripture, when, when it's related to the church, you hear the, the body, you, you hear the, the church, you hear it called several different things. And I want you to notice the thread that runs through all of these. We are called a body. We are called a community. We are called a family. We, we, are, we are called, we are called um, a, a fellowship, Right? What do all those things have in common? A body that's not together is not going to be right. If something happens and my arm's over there and my head's over there and my feet are over there, something went horribly wrong. And I'm probably not living anymore. Because I was not made to live in that way. I was, I was formed and fashioned in my mother's womb a very certain way. And if that gets all disjointed and separated, then something really horrible happens. And so when you look at the way the scripture defines uh, the church or the, the body of Christ or the family or the community or the fellowship of the body, we realize that all of this is community. In fact, that's my first point if you're in your notes there. Number one is a common unity. Now, you may think that's redundant. A common unity, that's kind of the same thing. I know it is. But look at the word Come unity. We have a common unity together. By the way, pray for our TV. We haven't been able to get that thing all day. We have a common unity. Look at verse 44 there, if you're in your notes. Now all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. They were together. Now, were all of them together every day? Impossible. We'll talk about that in just a second. But I want you to notice the mindset. That's not so much about we have to get together every single day and eat dinner together because that would be pretty much impossible. Right? Now, that's just, you know, 20, 30 of us. Can you imagine like 3,000 on the first day? And it says they were all gathering together daily. Do we for one minute think they were all gathering together daily all together? Impossible. They, but, but they had a mindset of the importance of community. Where did that come from? What do you suppose? Anybody? From Jesus. Why did it come from Jesus? Because Jesus ministered to multitudes, but he lived with 12. Right? He would, he would talk to thousands and feed thousands and do great miraculous things among the multitude. But when he was done with that, he would always run over here with his family. Right? And so when the, when the disciples founded the church after Jesus ascended back to heaven, they're like, what do we do? How do we do it? Let's just do it like Jesus did it. And so they started coming together in community and making that one of the key, most important principles of what it is they were doing. And in that, that unity that they created in the church, there was a commonness that they had that, that overarched everything else. So much so that, that the word of God says they know that we're dis disciples of Christ because of our love for each other. Because when they would look at the church, listen to me, church. Look at the church in the United States and tell me if we are known by our love for each other. I mean, I want to preach certain messages here and encourage you and make you feel good today. But there's a prophetic little stream in me right now that's like enough is enough with the garbage that's going on in our church today. 
While we're pointing at the world and all of their sin and their problems, we're so jacked up in the church, we don't know if we're coming or going. We're we're just trying to get the church in Coos County together. Right? But in this church here, in the early church, they had a commonness, a unity amongst themselves, and we have to stop and step back and say, what is that all about? Where did that come from? Because we're not doing a very good job of it, but we need to. Well, that's just the way we are. We're fallen humans. Listen, that's not an excuse. He calls us to this. Amen? So the the fellowship of the body is so important. Now, some will disagree with me on this, but I just, I'm so far beyond our in care. Um, The importance of fellowship is so important and ingrained in us that God created us with that need. He created us with a need for fellowship. Everybody wants, when we first started the church, one of like first two or three weeks I was down there, I preached a message called the Cheers Church. There's like a couple of you that might have been there back then. But um, my wife, because she's brilliant, she took the Cheers logo from the TV show and she turned it into church. And, and, the re- and everybody's like, why are you preaching about a bar? And I'm like, because they understand fellowship more than the church does. Why is a show like Cheers so important back in the day? I know I'm dating myself a little bit. But why, why was that show so wildly popular? Because everybody wants to feel they're part of that. In fact, the song of the show is sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. Right? What happens? Now, I'm probably, no one probably knows what I'm talking about because you're all, like, too young. But, but anybody remember Norm? When Norm walks in, what does everybody do? Don't you want to just be somewhere where you walk in and they go, Ed, man, it's good to see you today. What does that do for you? By the way, it really is good to see you today. The the TV show Friends, why is that show or why was that show so popular? Because people want to be a part of that. Something like that. The need for connection and community and fellowship is ingrained. Me, being the most introverted person on the face of the planet, still understand that there's something in me that needs somebody in my life. Right? It's, it's, it's in us. This is the thing that, well, let me give this to your notes. The desire for community is a natural need, and I, and I believe this. It's placed by God to lead us into the fellowship with the body of Christ. We, we, the intention of God is that we find the fulfillment for that thing in us in the body of the believers. I didn't get one amen on that, but it's still true. Well, how many people run into negative relationships or end up in the bars or end up in those places because they're looking for that place where they can find a place where they fit, where they connect, where, where people care about them? I believe that's ingrained in us, and God ingrained that in us so that we would find our way to the fellowship of believers to find that fulfillment. Now, you say, well, you're supposed to find that in God. Yeah, you're supposed to find it in God, but God's not standing here physically in front of me right now. See, this is the thing. We get all hyper-spiritual. I don't need the church. I don't have to go to church to follow. I just need Jesus. Okay, well, when, when you're... When you're Ed, Ed worked on my truck. I'm super thankful. I got this thing on my truck where it leaks. And he, he, it's like, he comes over and he's like, I didn't even call him. He calls me and he's like, hey, I think I can take care of this for you. And he just came over and got my truck and he did it. Well, I mean, that's pretty cool. Because Jesus didn't fix the leak in my truck. You didn't hear what I just said. I just, I just need Jesus. I don't need the church. Okay, well, Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't fix my truck. Jesus, Jesus didn't paint these walls. Jesus didn't redo this wood. Jesus didn't buy these chairs. 
I don't need anybody but Jesus. Jesus has given us each other. He's given us each other. And it's unbelievable that we disregard that so often. The, the desire for community is a natural need placed by God to lead us into fellowship with the body of Christ. Why is social media so important right now? I want to read, read something to you. It's not meant to be humorous. But if you, if you look up Facebook, I, I got Facebook here. I, I Googled Facebook. And it says this. Connect and share with the people you love. How many of you think that Facebook is currently a place where you connect and share with the people you love overarchingly? No, Facebook is where I fight with everybody, even my own church family. Twitter is a cesspool. Thank you. I was waiting for somebody to say amen. Instagram. All Instagram is is a place for you to try to prove to everybody else how awesome your life is when really it's nothing like the pictures that you're posting. That's not fellowship. This thing is built into I think I will. Thank you. God designed us for fellowship. In fact, it's so important in Hebrews 10, he says this. Let us hold fast the confession of our faith, excuse me, confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful, and let us consider one another. In or if all you need is Jesus and you don't need the church, why is this verse in the Bible? Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Hebrews tells us to hold on to our faith, and since I've preached this scripture up, down, backwards, and forwards, I'm not going to spend much time on it. But what the Word of God says is we have to hold fast to our confession of hope, and the means by which God has given us to do that is each other. So that, that I, let, let, let us consider ourselves. Is that what it says? Let us consider what is good for me. Let us consider what song I want to sing. Let us consider what sermon I want to hear. Let us consider whether Josh's political views line up with my political views. Let us consider whether I like black clothes or white clothes, or blue carpet or white carpet. Let us consider whether I like Pentecostal or Baptist. Let us consider whether I want to go to a community church, and community churches are more important. No. Just let us consider one another. Because while we're so worried about ourselves, we don't realize that everybody else is going through some junk too. I don't know why nobody calls and checks on me. Did you call and check on them? Probably because they're going through some stuff. And you've been placed here to help them. And all we care about is who's going to be there to take care of us. But listen, the cup, you know that cup of cold water thing in the scriptures? If you all had a cup of cold water, if we all in this room had a cup of cold water and we all gave each other a cup of cold water, would there be anybody without a cup of cold water? But if we all consumed our cup of cold water, what would happen? None of us would have any. So we have to consider one another to stir up one another to love and good works. And it says in verse 25, we do that by not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Okay? This, this whole thing is important. And people go, well, it's, it's just this, or it's just, it's, just, it's just the dinners, it's just the church, it's just the Bible studies, it's just the prayer meeting. No, listen, it's all of it. It's all of that together that causes us to be able to, to stand and survive and thrive in the world that we live in.
I've got to move on. Point number two, we have to have a Christ-like love because we can't have that kind of community without a Christ-like love. Okay, so I'm going to try to go quick here. You cannot have a common unity, a community, without Christ-like love. Galatians 5.14 says this, For the whole law can be summed up in this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor. It doesn't say love yourself and then tell your neighbor the neighbor needs to love you too. Love your neighbor as yourself. Right? And so when we love our neighbor as ourself, it's like that cup of cold water thing again. If I love my neighbor as myself, then everybody's going to be loved. Okay? In fact, that word there, I want to... It's funny, when Josh was praying this morning, he said, God, show us something that, we, that we've never seen or something, something to that effect. Show us something we've never seen before today. And I, I saw something. I can't believe I've never seen it before. It's ridiculous. I've been preaching for a long, long time. Been in the church mostly since I was seven years old. And I saw something I never saw before. I've never preached this before because I never saw it before. It's little, but it's huge. Okay. It says, love your neighbor as yourself is the most important thing in the Bible. Now, this part you know. The word for love is the word agape. Okay? And, and that word is a word that is basically only used in Scripture. Okay? It's, 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 no, it's not only used in Scripture. But it became a word that was all, almost single-handedly attached to the followers of Christ. Because when they looked at the followers of Christ, they, they, they're like, is that a brotherly love they have? No, it's not that. Is it a sexual love? Well, it certainly isn't that. Is it, is it kind of like a, a family love? Well, kind of, but it's not. I mean, it's something more than that. And so they, they got this word agape, or agape, depending on how you want to pronounce it. And they sort of attached this word. So when you go back to early writings from back in the time of Jesus and shortly after that, you don't see this word hardly used anywhere else except in relationship to the body of Christ. And in this word, in, in, a, in a nutshell, I don't have it up there or anything, but in a nutshell, it means a love that is not based on any conditions. Now, I just said something there. If we could get that one right, the church would flip upside down in a day. My love for you is unconditional. Because we put all sorts of conditions on everybody. Right? I'll leave that one alone because I don't have time. But that word, it says... Uh, that word, when, when it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that word love is the word agape. And, and that, now I want you to think about what that, that word means then. The, the love that God had for you, you pitiful wreck, and me, pitiful wreck, was so great that he would send his son to die for me. It's ridiculous. That has to be an unconditional love. Because he knew all of the sins I would commit up until the point when I, when I came into relationship with him. And then he knew all the sins I was going to continue to commit all the way until he comes and gets me. And yet he sent his son to die for me anyway. That's the kind of love that, that, that you can't find anywhere else in the world. Now I want to ask you a question. I want you to throw out what you think the answers are. How many times do you think love is mentioned in the book of Acts? How many times do you think that, that love is mentioned in the book of Acts? Let's throw out a number. Take a guess. A hundred? What? A hundred? And somebody said something. Ten? Twenty-seven? Anybody else? No wrong answers. Seventy. How about zero? Did you know that the word love is not in the book of Acts anywhere? Now, if the greatest commandment is love, I'm, I'm dropping a bomb on you right now. I'm not sure if you're aware. If the greatest commandment is love, then why is love not mentioned at all in the book of Acts? Because they were doing it instead of talking about it. Because what we've done in the church is we think if we talk about it, then that means we're doing it. The book of Acts is not called the book of talking about stuff. It's the Acts of the Apostles. So they did not talk about love. They loved. Later, later in the epistles, Paul said, he said, uh, uh, I think it's in Romans 5, but I could be wrong on that. So he said, let love be 
without hypocrisy. And one time I was reading, doing my daily devotion, and the words let love be just sort of like boom, because we let love be without hypocrisy and everything else that goes with that. And those three words popped out at me, let love be. Let love be what? Yes. Let love be what? Yes. Does love belong here? Yes. Does love belong here? Yes. Does love belong here? Yes. Does that mean we compromise our faith? No. But we can love without compromising our faith. In fact, that's so important. He said that's the greatest commandment. So when we look at the book of Acts, we find out that the Christ-like love that is so uh, prevalent everywhere else in the scripture, all the way back to, to Exodus when he says, love the Lord your God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, these two are the greatest of the commandments. That important thing is not even mentioned in the book of Acts because they're too busy doing it. Love is giving what you have to somebody else that doesn't have it. Not because you're compelled to, but because there's a desire in you to be a giver. Love is praying for somebody that is that is sick and believing that God will be recovered because you care about them. Love is fellowshipping with people because you care about them despite whatever it is that's going on in their life. They didn't talk about it. They did it. And we have to do the same. And it's not based on conditions. Do you know what sometimes you guys drive me nuts? And I am certain that sometimes I drive you nuts. My wife just did it. Sometimes, sometimes you folks will do stuff that makes me so angry. And I'm sure that sometimes I do stuff that will make you so angry. I'm going to be real here right now, okay? Some of, you, some of you have hurt me. You hurt my feelings. You offended me. This is not a joke. This is real. And I am quite sure that I've probably hurt you or offended you. It doesn't matter. Because if it wasn't, it wasn't. I love you. If you have offended me, if you need me, I'm going to show up. If you have hurt me and you need me, I'm going to show up. I might show up grumbling, but I know it's going to be the right thing to do because God told me to. Because he said, I want you to love the people that I put in your life. And since we're all messed up, we're not ever going to love each other perfectly. Only one has loved perfectly. And yet we are called to pursue a perfect love for each other. Loving each other is, our, is the reflection of our love for God. And so whether you, and those things need to be worked out quite obviously. If somebody's offended or hurt, you got to work those things out. You can't just pretend that they didn't happen, but you have to come with a certain mindset that I'm not here to be like, you hurt me. I'm here because I want to restore what is broken because I love you. I care about you. Amen? Okay? And so we have to have a Christ-like kind of love. That, that's a love that's got to come from the Holy Spirit in us. Because I, I, I'm an idiot, so I'm not capable of loving like that even if I want to. So I have to go to God and say, God, here I am. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and let your love flow through me. Because I'm going to mess this thing up, guaranteed. Let's move on, hurry. Continuing, number, point number three, we have to have, not only do we have to have a, a common unity, a Christ-like love, we have to have a continuing commitment. This is where what I just said, where the rubber hits the road. Because that kind of love and that kind of community is something you have to commit to. Because you won't do it if it's rolling on your feelings or the way that you think or the way that you want or whether someone thinks like you or doesn't think like you. Notice two verses there, and I'll go super quick from this point. 
Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says, They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, and the breaking of bread and prayer. In Acts 2, 46, it says, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and, and simplicity of heart. If you're taking notes, just underline those two phrases. In verse 42, continued steadfastly. And in verse 46, continued daily. And, and notice the connection there that what drove the church was a continuing commitment to the things of God. Scripture all the time talks about our need for perseverance, our need to overcome, our need to fight the battles, our need to hold on, our, our need to keep moving forward. And at the moment we can't move forward that we stand knowing that we're going to stand in Christ even if everything is buffeting all around us. It's all about perseverance and keeping on, keeping on. Some of you started reading the Bible at the beginning of the year, like January, I'm going to read through the whole Bible, and you've already given up on it. Don't. Pick it back up again. No judgments, no like, oh, I knew you were going to fail. None of that. Pick it back up again because it's about continued work. It's about continued perseverance. If I'm, if I'm preaching to you today and you say, well, I don't know if I've done a very good job about being a part of the fellowship. So what? It doesn't matter what happened before. Continue forward from today. I don't know. My prayer life has been stinking. And then you preach about prayer and I get all guilty. Don't get guilty. Just start praying. Continue. Persevere. Move forward. And there ain't really much of anything that's going to encourage you in that except the brothers and sisters that are around you. Nothing out there is going to encourage you for it. I guarantee you that right now. We have to persevere, and we have to persevere in fellowship. In, in, in the notes, the fellowship created by your church family can give you. Now, I want you to notice I didn't say will give you. Originally, I had will give you the necessary encouragement, and I changed it to it can do that. Because it will not unless you participate in it. This will give you what you need, not if you don't participate. Again, this goes back to that, that uh, self-thinking that we have in our culture today. I need everybody to take care of me. And it's like, no, you need to be worried about helping somebody else. And in the midst of helping somebody else, you will find that God will do some amazing things in you. But you have to make that choice. So the fellowship created by your church family can give you the necessary encouragement and accountability, helping you to persevere and thrive in your Christian walk. Do you know that right now, currently, as I'm standing here, is the most excited I've been about what God is doing in our church than, I, than I've probably been in, in 10 years, at least. And I'm excited about it, and I'm connecting with people, and we're talking about it, and we're excited, and we're praying together, and studying together, and, and, and all of that kind of stuff. And then some other people will be like, I don't know what you're talking about. This is like another church service, and you're preaching too long like you always do. It may be that you're not connecting yourself in. Why are they leaving me out? Nobody's leaving you out. You're not connecting yourself in. The fellowship created by your church family, I'm going to run out that door when I'm done because I've gotten myself in trouble many times today. The fellowship created by your church family can give you the necessary encouragement and accountability, helping you to persevere and thrive in your Christian walk. We don't, we don't often think how important it is or how, how powerful it can be just to come alongside somebody and encourage them. Just encourage them. I don't know. I don't know how to encourage people. I'm not a good encourager. How about just walk up and say, hey, I love you and I got your back. I'm proud of you. What are you proud of? You showed up today when you could have been doing something else. There's a lot of you guys in this room. I'm, I am. I'm not just saying this because it's part of the sermon. I'm super proud of you. I'm super proud of Ann because Ann's fought some ridiculous battles in the last few years. And here she sits worshiping God with all of her heart. And probably anybody else would look at that and say, well, I don't know. I don't know why. She'll never make it back to church. We, she'll never, God could never use her again. Baloney, here she is. I hesitate on picking people out because I always leave somebody out. I'm not meaning to leave anybody out. I'm just trying to make a point. I'm proud of Stephanie over here at the work she's put in to get where she's at in her life. She's worked harder than probably anybody else in this room to get where she's at in her life and, and chasing a dream that she's after. I'm, I am proud of Tammy 
and Anne and Patrick and Jennifer, because somehow or another, they make these, these stupid computers back here do something every week. <laughs> Anne walked in this morning, and I said, Anne, the TV's not working. Get it fixed, because I have other stuff I got to get to. She wasn't able to do it, but I'm proud of her anyway, because I tried, and I couldn't get it either. I don't know what's going on up there. Sometimes people come in and they go, man, the live stream wasn't, it wasn't very good the other day. This is not at anybody because somebody said this to me recently. This is just a general statement. The live stream, man, I, we couldn't hear, we couldn't see, or the picture was fuzzy, and it was like, you have no idea what was going on here. You're, you're, luck, you're lucky that there was even anything there. I'm proud of Deborah and her team for the work they've been doing for years with his walk. At whatever point you may have been a part of that, it's been amazing. See, that kind of thing matters, and you don't get that kind of thing if you're sitting at home by yourself saying, I don't need, I don't need my family to follow Jesus. They have to have a continuing commitment. I like this. I'm boring you now, so let me give you something I thought was funny. The greatest oak tree was once a little nut who held its ground. Every one of you in this room and live stream right now, all, you're all nuts. But I'm standing with you because you're turning into oak trees. Everybody wants to look at the nut, at how unimpressive that is. But when that nut turns into an oak tree, then all of a sudden it's like, I knew it was going to be that all along. No, you didn't, you liar. I knew what was going on with Stephanie five years ago when she's sitting in my office crying because things weren't, like, perfect with her test. I knew what she was going to be, and now here she is an oak tree. Back then, people probably said, she's nuts. Yeah. Yeah, but you're about to be Dr. Nuts, so I don't know if that's appropriate to say. I'm not sure, but I said it. The greatest oak tree was once a little nut who held its ground. Let's move on. Last thing. The last thing they did in the church is that they cultivated discipleship. Uh, in your notes, in the fellowship of common unity, Christ-like love, and continued commitment, we can grow as disciples of Christ. In, in, in the book of Acts, I mentioned this earlier, so I'll just finish with it. Do you think that when three, because it says in one point 3,000 got saved, 5,000 got saved, daily was being added to the church, those who were being saved. Do you think they all came together daily and they were all like 25,000 people were gathering together to eat together? No. They were meeting in small groups and they were going from house to house and they were sharing together, praying together, studying the word together. They, they were coming together in, in the big meetings and they were going to the small meetings and, 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 and this family had dinner with this family because that family invited them over to have that dinner with that family. And all of that stuff was going on. And in the middle of that, God raised up an army that he called his, his church. We complicate everything. If we're gonna if we're gonna have a really good church, we gotta have lights and we gotta have smoke and we gotta have bigger rooms and we gotta have clowns that play with the kids and and we gotta have professional worship teams and and we gotta have all of that stuff. And I don't see any of that in the Bible. What I see in the Bible is that they went from house to house, they broke bread together, they worshiped together, they studied together, they prayed together, they loved on each other, even though they wanted to kill each other, they loved each other anyway. And God raised up a mighty army that went from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth, which by the way is where we are right now we are the ends of the earth talking about what those disciples did 2,000 years ago simply because they walked in fellowship together what you may not know is for all of our good and our bad and our ups and our downs and our victories and our failures in this church the reason this church started the, the reason the reason this church is actually here today because many times over the years, I didn't know we were going to make it for one more week. But the reason we're here started in my living room 15 years ago with a Bible study. Because there was a small group of, of young adults that came to my house every Tuesday night. And we would just pray together and we, we'd study the word together and sometimes worship together. Music, sometimes not. But 
we did that week after week after week after week. And when God called us to abandon the pastor of the church, that whole group came with us. That's how we started this church because the church that was there, they all quit on me on the first Sunday. All 10 of them. It was a gigantic church. Only one of them stayed. One and a half. The only reason we survived was because of the people that I had been meeting with every Tuesday to study the word together and to pray together. And at that point, we had, we had cried together. We had laughed together. We had, we had watched children being born together. We watched people that had lost their jobs and people that found their jobs. And we had multiple nights where we had a plan for what we were going to do, and we just stopped it all and just loved on somebody because they needed to be loved on that night. That's, that's how we got here. We would not be here. Not all of those people are here now, but you know what? I know that at that point when they were here with us, that's the only reason that Ann and I survived as the pastors of the church. There'd been no way we would have made it. At every step of the way, we would have never made it except for the people that God had put around us. So I want, I want to encourage you. There's a lot of things going on in the church right now discipleship groups and prayer groups and, and, and celebrate recovery and church services and all of that. And, and you got to inject yourself into that. Not having people begging you to be here. We need to understand the And then beyond that, because a lot of times people are like, well, you preach about this, Pastor. Now, now you should do all of this with us all the time. And it's like, I, 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 would, I want to. I have a hard time because I barely got time to do anything right now. And I do the best I can. But listen, you don't need me because you have each other. I'm part of that, but I'm not all of that. So if you're hungry for fellowship, engage in it. Be a part. Love on somebody. What if they don't love me back? It's still worth it because you're doing what God told you to do. Some of the greatest things happen in some of the least likely times. I'm, I'm sharing this story to close. A few years ago, I went to Washington, and I was preaching at a friend's church. And uh, Ann and I did. I can't remember if it was the time Josh came with us or if it was the second time. But we had this amazing, amazing service, really awesome altar call, you know, the whole people falling out and people getting tongues and interpretations and God's moving and doing all this stuff, and it was, like, really amazing. And then, and then everybody went home, and myself and the pastor of the church and uh, a young uh, guy there that I was troubled and I didn't know it was trouble, and a couple people from the worship team were still left there. Everybody else went home. And so we're just sitting around the altar, and we're just – if you've ever been in a really good uh, revival service, you know, at the end everybody's just kind of giddy and kind of whatever and, and tired and – and so we're just doing that. We're goofing around. And then this person was like, you know, I'm really having a hard time with this. And we took basically the next hour and we just spoke into that young man's life. And we prayed with that young man. And, and, and everybody that was still left there was like, you know, I went through something like this, too. And here's mine. And then I was like, oh, you know, I went through something like this, too. And we just prayed for him. And, and we were there for three days. And that was the most powerful thing that happened in any of the meetings was the thing that happened afterwards. And that's the importance of the fellowship. It's not just about the church service. Is this important? You better believe it's important, but it's not just about this. It's about meet somebody outside of here too. Have a cup of coffee. Sit down and, oh, what about the virus? Listen, there's ways to make all these things work. It's just we've got to have a heart for it. Okay? Some of you are like, you never do it with me, Pastor. Listen, I have the heart to, trust me. I try. But it can't just be about me. It's got to be about us. And then what the Word of God says is that they will know we are His disciples by our love for each other. So if we want God to move, it's going to be by our love. Amen? We were created for fellowship.
Word of God, prayer, giving, fellowship. If you will lock those four things into your life this year, nothing is going to shake you. Amen? Father, I just come to you this morning. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for every single person that's in this room right now. Lord, every person in this room is important to me and important to this church. Those that are watching online uh, that, that maybe for whatever reasons haven't been able or uh, to get here, they are incredibly important to us. I pray that you would encourage them today and that you would, in this year, that you would pour out your spirit on us, Lord, and that, that you would bless us, that you would bless our fellowship because we need it. Because everything in the world, Lord, is tearing us apart from each other. But I pray that your Holy Spirit and your word would heal us and bring us together in, in a way that is um, immovable. And in order for that to happen, it takes all of us. It takes all of us doing what we can for the other, not expecting what the other can do for us. So give us that heart this year. And uh, I thank you that you will do that. So as we're leaving today, Lord, I pray your blessing over everyone that's here. Uh, pray special blessing first over the, the, the ladies group that's starting tonight. Lord, that that would get kicked off in a good way. Uh, that you bless all of the things that are happening with uh, Celebrate Recovery and men's group and Bible study and prayer. And that, that your blessing would be on every one of those meetings. Lord, when, when people get together this week and are just hanging out and talking, I pray that you bless that. Lord, if there are those that are going... Uh, to a neighbor's for dinner, Lord. I pray you bless that. I pray you surround with a hedge of protection from all of the things that are in the world and just bless the fellowship. And I thank you for that. And Lord, as, as we close, as we often do, if you want to receive a blessing this morning, if you just raise your hand, I appreciate it. Let's pray over you this morning. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. Be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. I love you.